The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, a cup special. Carabao Cup semi-finals. Haves and Havers at Sanford Bridge with Spurs set to Carabao out. FA Cup third round. Teams who waited years for glory getting the chance to live their dreams. No, not Man United. Although, actually, yeah. Well, we'll look ahead to all of that and preview the Africa Cup of Nations, the teams, the jazz clubs, the manager who shot himself in the butt. All of that and more coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, hello there, listener. Thursday, January the 6th, or thereafter. And with us today, in this moment of time, we've got your Duncan Alexander, your Tom Williams, and your Charlie Eccleshare. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, hello right. James. Mm, nice. Football, eh? I stepped away for a couple of days, and it feels like a lot has happened. Saints getting taken over. That Wolves win at Old Trafford for the first time in... 40 years, people getting angry over the Carabao Cup. What's going on, Tom? Yes, I mean, I, I did watch um, did watch Man United Wolves on Monday and Carabao Cup last night, yeah, um, which which yielded a very Spursy performance from Spurs after a few weeks where they'd been looking tentatively non-Spursy following the arrival of Antonio Conte. Um, right. And which, which demonstrated that the gulf that continues to exist uh, between the two clubs, as, as Conte himself lamented afterwards and which again which I think would have done a lot of good for Chelsea after a, a bit of a sticky patch with with various issues Liverpool were due to be playing Arsenal Cessoir but that's not now going ahead sorry that was kind of what I was referring to when I was saying people getting angry because there seems to be a, this storm about the fact that that yeah. Liverpool have moved their fixture can you can you break that down well I think people have put two and two together and come up with 48 because they're saying well obviously Sadio Mane and uh, Naby Keita and Mo Salah have gone to the to Afcon and Liverpool have tried to do uh, postpone the game because that, but the, very unlikely that at least two of those players would have played in this game anyway. So it seems strange given that pretty much every team in the Premier League has had at least one game called off uh, for COVID postponement so far. But it does feel like football Twitter has started this year in quite an angry mood. There seems to be a lot of. <laughs> A lot of rage flying around. Doesn't but, sound like football. After a really, yeah, after a very calm 2021. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm still very slow here. Why are people upset with Liverpool saying they'd like to postpone the game? What's that got to do with I think Sadio they feel Mane like they're Salah? pulling a fast one a bit. And that, you know, the response has been, well, what does it matter that um, Klopp's got COVID and right. Pep Linders has got COVID? Were they going yeah. to play? I think basically the, the reason it's been called off is because they're having lots of positives. And one of the big red flags for the Premier League or the FL is if teams have players continuing to test positive right up to the last minute because that mm. suggests the outbreak is not under control. So clearly in this case that is what's happened so it's it's entirely legitimate. I think there is this sense as, as Duncan alludes to that they're trying to kind of filibuster this tie until Mane, uh, Salah and Cater are back which given last season Klopp basically forfeited um, was it this competition? But when it clashed with the Club hmm. World Cup, so I, I don't imagine they're you know fiendishly coming up with a plan to stay in it. They've flipped the order of the legs. They've done a Sharon Stone. They've just crossed the legs over. <laughs> yeah, I see. Um, yeah, but so basically, I think this... it's a way of keeping the the Anfield leg to avoid disruption. The Anfield mm. leg is the same date as it always was. It's just that it's now the first leg rather than the second leg. 
I but see. then Arsenal fans will be saying, well, that you know, we now have to go to Anfield first up where we could get beaten, and then that puts us in a different position. And also the the following week, you know, that then eats into sort of fixture time for rearranged Premier League games. It's I think people kind of need to just take a deep breath and remember that that two years ago nearly we had three months with no football and it was really depressing and we all had to pretend to be interested in old seasons for a bit. And, <laughs> you know, we just need to, uh, we just need to just, you know, get these fixtures done. We've had, we've had situations like this before in seasons with bad weather and stuff. We just, it'll, it'll all come out in the end. Well, I think what there is as well is there's a lot of, um, how is this going to affect us negatively? There's the North London Derby and, it will now be for Arsenal. It comes after the second leg rather than the first leg. And there was a world in which Arsenal beat a COVID-ravaged Liverpool in the first leg, which meant they could take it easy a bit in the second leg. Whereas now it will be a blood and thunder first leg at Anfield. They'll be coming off going into that North London derby. Mm. But it may not work out anything like that. All right. Well, with the bar for today set so very high by Tom Williams with that extraordinary basic instinct. Uh, gag. Let's get on with the game that did take place this midweek in the Carabao Cup. And yes, it was Chelsea 2, Spurs 0. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Oh dear! Oh, Tanganga's header, Cannondorf Davis. It is an absolutely farcical goal from a Tottenham point of view. Charlie, you were there. Looked like rollicking entertainment, particularly a, a Spurs performance that could have been accompanied by the kazoo and a couple of trombones. <laughs> did the crowd enjoy it? Well, most of them did, yeah. Um, the, the Chelsea fans were loving in it, reveling in it, olaying in the closing stages as uh, every pass. Yeah, it was comical. And, and actually, that own goal was foreshadowed not long before by Ho- a panicked Hoybier smashing the ball at Oli Skip and it rebounding into the path of Kai Havertz for for a decent chance. I mean, I I spoke about this before the game, that their results under Conte had been good, but aside from Liverpool, a COVID hit Liverpool at home, their opposition had been pretty ropey. Um, I think all of them, all of the other seven opponents had been teams that are currently in the bottom half. Um, And of their five wins, four at home and against not especially strong opposition. And that's not to say that that wasn't, you know, it was still a very impressive turnaround, but this always felt like it would be quite revealing because either Spurs would go and, you know, show that, no, that they really have uh, turned a big corner under Conte or uh, that there is still this chasm between them and the uh, Premier League's big three. And it was very much Mm. the latter. I see. Great result, meanwhile, for Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel, uh, almost in another final. I think it would be his third of in about a year mm. of being in charge, uh, Hakim Ziyech uh, looking great, and the Lukaku issue dealt with as well. Good week's work. Yeah, I mean Lukaku played okay um, at halftime. Him and Harry Kane had a combined total of four completed passes, which did suggest that the age of the big centre forward might be passing uh, slightly or not. But um, or yeah, or not. But um. Yeah, he did okay, but I think, as Charlie alluded to, uh, Kai Havertz looked like Chelsea's best forward, I think. Um, it was With Spurs, it was strange, because obviously one of the low-key best games of the last 10 years was the uh, 2016, when uh, the 2-2 at Stamford Bridge. And 
obviously Spurs were tuning up in that game. I looked at the first half in that match. Spurs had two goals, 10 shots and an XG of 1.45. Um, and I guess that does show how how much they've declined in, you know, in relation to clubs like Chelsea in the last five or six years. So, yeah, I mean... Conte, they didn't have a shot said, in the first half yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the worst first half performances I've ever seen, I think. You know, given that it's a, a local derby semi-final first leg... It it was it was bizarre. It was almost mm. it was almost like Conte hadn't even arrived at the club in some ways. But they were facing um, the European Champions, he said, in a desperate attempt to pivot back to the team that won two 0 Yeah, but the the European Champions who ended the game with with you know who needs Kieran Trippier when you can have Christian Pulisic at right back the uh, yeah. you know up and down. It felt like quite a good game, particularly for Thomas Tuchel, um, whose halo has perhaps slipped a bit uh, in recent weeks uh, with Chelsea's results taking a bit of a, a turn for the worse. And we've seen a bit of angry, spiky Thomas Tuchel, who I recall well from his uh, his time at PSG. And in particular, I thought the way that, that Chelsea approached the game tactically was very interesting. In the in possession, it was a kind of a 4-2-2-2 with Jorginho and, and San Niguez, who probably had his best game in a Chelsea shirt in, in sort of central midfield. Ziyech and Mount just ahead of them and then Havertz alongside Lukaku up front. But then out of possession, they kind of moved to kind of like a 5-3-2 with Ziyech in this very unfamiliar role for him out on the right flank. But that that helped Chelsea to sort of block the flanks for, for Spurs wing-backs, who we know are such an important part of the way they play. And it also en- enabled them to completely dominate the midfield. And I think given that Tuchel's been getting not so much bad press, but has had a bit of a, a sticky time of it, I think this was another indication of how tactically he remains a really astute, really creative thinker. And that despite being without all sorts of really key players, you know, no Thiago Silva, no Rhys James, no Edouard Mendy. He's still capable of coming up with creative solutions um, and, uh, you know, and dominating uh, a really important game. I think as well, and Danny Kelly made this point on our Spurs pod, it's easy to forget how good Chelsea and Liverpool are because City are kind of streaming away into the distance and Chelsea and Liverpool have both had issues with COVID and unavailabilities, etc. over the last month. But there is still that huge gulf between Chelsea and Liverpool and then, you know, the, the teams that are competing for fourth like Spurs. And and yesterday, the, the press box at Stamford Bridge is right down low by the pitch. And just seeing the speed with which Chelsea went at Spurs and those certainly in the first half, they just they smashed them, really. Like they whenever Spurs got the ball, you know, guys like Hoybier just looked a bit lost. Like they, they couldn't really cope with the pace of it. Um and, and that is, you know, Tuchel's calling card having those teams that their movement off the ball is so good and we really saw that last night and they look, they did look a cut above to be honest mm. So essentially Duncan you're saying that 2-0 is not a dangerous scoreline halfway through I'm happy to announce that 2-0 is not dangerous because it's only been turned over once in, tw- in 30 uh, times in a, after a first leg of a League Cup something. and that was Aston Villa against Tranmere back in 1994 okay. obviously Tranmere were lower league and Aston Villa had big run in charge Which so. one was 2-0 up? Uh, Tranmere won the first leg. Right. Yeah. Villa won that year, didn't they? Beat United, denied them their domestic treble. Tom, you mentioned 4-2-2-2, possibly another two, I'm not sure, uh, which is a very much on vogue among your top-level tacticians at the moment. Obviously, Ralph Ragnick espouses it as well. It confuses me when I hear it. It sounds a bit phallic, to be fair. I just have this vision of uh, almost like the arc, the players marching up the field in very much in pairs. 
possibly in a sort of like primary school buddy system on a school outing. I'm not sure, but it, ob- that's obviously not. Yeah, maybe, that's obviously not what they're trying to do here. So, what, what's the attraction? I mean, it is unquestionably the most phallic of all the formations. I'd say mm. it's hard to hard to arrange a team in a, in a more phallic shape if that's your um. You could have kind of three at the top and then three, two, 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 one. Let's not though. Uh, anyway, what's the uh, one? Yeah. That's for you to find out. <laughs> so, uh, but no. Yeah, I think I think that well, the, the key thing in in that system is the two attacking midfielders because if they were wider, you just call it a, a four four two. I think that shape gives them perhaps a greater degree of positional freedom than you'd get in a four-four-two. You know, we've seen that a little bit with Manchester United since Ralph Rangnick's come in. The the two attacking midfielders, um, you know, are, are not wide players. You know, they're they're encouraged to come into those sort of number ten positions and and, and influence the game uh, a bit more. It feels a bit like it's for people who who think 442 is too uncool it's gone out of fashion so it's like it's like calling macaroni and cheese mac and cheese it's like you can have your 4222 and i mean united and recently have been almost playing 442 really um a lot of the time so yeah it does feel so ripe in the way that whenever a new tax innovation comes in your proper football men will say you know, pressing. We've been doing that since the <laughs> 60s. We, we just called it running around. And 4222 yeah. almost feels like it's just luring those 442 merchants <laughs> in to kind of have the view. I mean, I do think for it to work, you need uh, very good attacking fullbacks. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the issues with United trying to do this is where, you know, Wamba Saka is a better defender than he is um, going forward. So you, you question how well suited he is. Yesterday, yesterday, to be fair, Chelsea, I mean, Alonso, who... Um, you know, he's, he's going to play a lot with Chilwell out injured. He did really well for the first goal, nipped in, played a really nicely weighted pass uh, to Ziyech and, and, and did help make that system work. And, and it was interesting because Tuchel obviously has uh, favoured three at the back I and mean, he's played that almost exclusively at Chelsea and, uh, you know, went with something different. Whereas Conte, despite having availabilities in the centre of his defence, kept the three at the back um, and it didn't really work. Mm. Thanks for clearing that up. Next up, Let's turn our big brains to the FA Cup third round. Hi again, listeners. Well, we have our popcorn and the Jim White big foam finger at the ready for what could be the most interesting January transfer window in a good while. Newcastle have wasted no time and have already brought in England international fullback here on Trippier from Atletico Madrid. From watching Newcastle so far, it's as clear as day that they require an upgrade in the centre of their defence. James Tarkowski of Burnley and Liverpool's Matt Phillips with the two names being linked. Tarkowski is priced at 6-5, whilst Phillips is a 6-4 shot. Who now is the favourite to sign for Newcastle, I hear you ask, sisters. Well, the Paddy Power traders have Man United want away attacker Anthony Martial topping the betting at even money. Yes, a massive sulker, but a talented one at that. Maybe he just needs nice guy Eddie to put his arm around him. Then next up in the betting is one Jesse Lingard at 6-5, although one would save a lot of money if they got him on a Bosman in the summer. Maybe Jack Wilshire could be the one to answer Eddie's call. The marketing heavies at Paddy Power have decided to help Jack make his next move. Jack's back in the game. Our digital strategy to getting you a new club. I'm not sure it works like that. Yeah, you're not sure, are you, Jack? You've been out of the game too long. It's been, like, six months. That's three Watford managers. The game's moved on. Has it? You're not even on TikTok. I've been keeping fit. I don't need to be. Ben Foster's 38, and he's got a club. 
Do you know why? Because he straps a GoPro to his head every time he takes a pre-game dump. That's not why. Right. You can find out these odds and more at PaddyPower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. All right. FA Cup third round this weekend and teams from the Premier League and Championship have entered the chat. 64 sides due to be in action. Don't think we've had any postponements yet, have we, from the third round? Although we have already seen the cancellation of replays in this round and the fourth round. All ties will be settled on the day, extra time and then penalties. All the matches that are televised will be on Terrestrial TV, BBC and ITV. I know you've all got games you want to talk about. I, for some reason, are particularly intrigued by Chelsea Chesterfield. Second in the Premier League, a.k.a. the European Champions, taking on the top team in the National League. Duncan. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a nice fixture. Chesterfield obviously have got FA Cup heritage reaching the, the semis back in 97 with a certain Sean Dyche in their team. Um, Magnificent. Yeah, mm. yeah, a three-three draw with uh, Middlesbrough. They, they they lost the replay, but it did feature Sean Dyche. I, I was away for much of the nineties, so I hadn't previously seen him in action for mm. the Spirites. But an extraordinary, uh, well, extraordinarily Sean Dyche-esque penalty that he takes. In yeah, he he certainly put his foot through it. Let's say. Well, if you're not sure, lad, the only ones that can offer that just smash it, Sean Dyche. He doesn't bother with any of that continental shooting to the left or right of the keeper. It's just straight. No. Or even, I mean, I don't even know if he knew the ball was there. He just ran as far as he could and then sort of his stride hit the ball and he's like, ah, oh, it went in. But um, the, and obviously a young Kevin Davis in that team went before oh. his transformation into a sort of bulky uh, hitman. That earned him the move that summer mm. to, uh, yeah. to Southampton. Yeah, it was a thriller um, that game. I remember it vividly. Uh, that I was movie. just going to make. A... I was just saying the exact same thing. I remember it so vividly. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that particular period, but I remember as if it was yesterday. All the little, I all remember, the little moments. Yeah, the Chesterfield manager's glasses falling off, all that stuff. <laughs> the ball bouncing off the bar and crossing the line. Did it or didn't? I mean, when people talk about you know the Wembley controversy of you know did a ball cross the line, that's the one that comes to mind. I'm not even sure if it was at Wembley. It may have been somewhere else that season, but. Um, yeah, it was, tra- it was Old Trafford, though. wasn't it? It was Old Chelsea Trafford, Chester that Field. was it, yeah. Because yeah. the other one was at Highbury. I think the other one was Chelsea-Wimbledon that season and Zola scored a lovely goal. Um, the FA Cup 97, what a time to be alive that was. Hmm. Middlesbrough won and then Di Matteo scored in the first minute of the, um, of the mm. final. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that the fastest goal until Drogba? Until Sahar, I think, initially. Sahar, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm. but anyway, back to Chesterfield. Oh um, well, yeah, I mean the shame is that, as usual, Chelsea seem to be at home for the FA Cup ties. They are invariably drawn at home, and I think if this game was away at Chesterfield, it would have a bit more of the the romance. I mean, obviously, as a Chester, if you're a Chesterfield director, then mm. away to Stamford Bridge is Kaching Central. But I think yeah. for the uh, hashtag magic of the cup, it would be nicer to be up in uh, Derbyshire. But but um. But yeah, Spirites have already put out Southend and Salford City. 
I mean, unbeaten yeah. in 14 matches, all competitions, yeah. Chesterfield. Haven't lost since 3-1 defeat at Woking at the end of September. So Chesterfield so far so good. There is, a, there is a, an argument that the, the National <laughs> League is stronger than League Two. Like no, no, no National League team that comes up really ever struggles when they get to League Two. And if you look at the look at the league table, it's it's jam packed with former League clubs like Chesterfield. So they'll be up for this game. That's at five thirty on Saturday afternoon. But you can't watch it on telly, I don't think, until highlights later on. But you can go along to the bridge, perhaps. Chance your arm of getting a ticket. This is another conspiracy, isn't it, that Chelsea always get these really easy home third round draws and that there's some there's some sort of stitch up. I don't know what the motivation would be, who's behind it, but someone's doing Chelsea? something. Chelsea? I mean... I guess Chelsea, yeah. City and Chelsea have got sort of easier draws over the last decade than your other big clubs, but it it's a completely random process, so... All right. Mm. Man City... Uh, who have they got this time? Ah, they're going to be at the county ground facing Swindon. Swindon with a bit of history themselves. Premier League side in the 90s. Because if you've not been keeping up with their colourful spiral down the divisions, cameo appearances from Paolo Di Canio, Tim Sherwood along the way, The Athletic actually have a great piece up at the moment, which begins with a story about their players taking their own warm-up pre-game while listening to the public address system in the hope that they might find out the team who's actually in the 11. <laughs> Extraordinary. Uh, anyway, uh, times are apparently getting better for Swindon. They had just seven registered players last summer, but they've since been taken over by the Australian plumbing magnet, Clem Morfuni. I've got a note here to myself. They'll be feeling flush then. <laughs> Not sure what that was about. Anyway, uh, so that's going to be a big game for Swindon. The Robins against Man City. Do Man City take this competition seriously? Do they ever? But, I mean, I guess they don't have to take it that seriously in these early rounds anyway. I mean, they could play a complete second-choice eleven, and it would still be mm. unbelievably strong. But yeah. they don't have a completely second-choice eleven, do they? So you still have a, you'll have a few big names scattered through it, I imagine, which would be nice for the, for the Wiltshire faithful to gaze upon. Mm. City have won 13 of their last 14 matches, so... It is a colossal task, this one, uh, for the Robins. Uh, now, uh, ooh, we mentioned Chesterfield. There are three other non-league sides still in the FA Cup. You've got Kidderminster, the Harriers, who are the lowest-ranked team in the competition. They're currently fifth in the National League North. They're at home to Reading. Uh, National League sides, Yeovil, the Glovers, and Boreham Wood, the Wood, who will be taking on AFC Bournemouth and AFC Wimbledon, respectively. Tom, what match is it that you're most looking forward to this weekend? Um, I, I'm going to say actually as, as preamble that my sort of gut reaction to this weekend was a bit of a shrug of the shoulders. Oh, the FA Cup, we know what will happen. The big teams will rest all their big players and win anyway. And even if they don't, they'll have rested so many players that it won't feel like a true upset. But then I had a look at what happened in last, season, last season's FA Cup and remembered what a great tournament it was. You had that incredible 5-4 match between Everton and Tottenham. Uh, in mm. the fifth round at Goodison Park, if anyone remembers that, which is one mm. of the most remarkable cup games we've seen in recent years. You had, um, obviously, the Leicester story. You had Chelsea knocking out Man City, denying them what was then the quadruple. And then that fantastic final, Leicester against Chelsea, which is one of the first games of the season that actually had fans in. That mm. brilliant Yuri Tillemans goal, Kasper Schmeichel pulling out the heroics right at the end of the game. And uh, a feeling that, that the FA Cup had perhaps recovered a bit of 
a bit of meaning through having um, a, a winner who, who we'd not seen before. Um, and also, I think particularly in the final, that 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 sense of um, that sense of the FA Cup kind of fulfilling a kind of important, almost like societal role mm. in kind of like bringing people together at a time when when we all needed it. That that said, I think the game that sticks out for me is probably Forest Arsenal, but mainly mm. because it reminded me of. Um, when uh, Big Ron uh, sat in the wrong dugout for his first mm. game as Nottingham mm. Forest manager in January 1999. And I remember at the time there was a story, and I read it somewhere, and apparently he'd sat down in the dugout next to Nelson Vivas and had said to him, when he'd realised his mistake, who are you? And Nelson Vivas had apparently <laughs> replied, I'm Dennis Burkamp," which is a great story <laughs> <laughs> but I cannot remember where I read it, and I've never been able to like back it up anywhere else. And I do Google it every now and again, so I'll be thinking right. about that again come uh, come <laughs> Sunday tea time. Okay, if Nelson Vivas, if you're listening, we, we'd love to know. That's it. I love the story. I, I rewatched the footage actually just to see, and there's the, the there's time for an exchange between mm. Vivas and Big Ron because they are next to each other, but it doesn't seem enough time for me. His English was also famously quite bad, I think, Nelson Vivas. Though it might have been good enough to say that. Um, Maybe he misunderstood the question. What, what is wronglish? Yeah. I mean, this game as well, it, this does feel like the potential for an upset. But, you know, a lot of these games, you're, you're sort of struggling. It's not the best draw in, in that regard. But hmm. obviously, this was a game Arsenal lost four years ago in the FA Cup. Got beaten pretty handily um, in Wenger's last season. Forest, I know they lost the last two, but they were doing pretty well before that. So you know, an Arsenal, I don't know. You'd feel that you, you feel they'll rotate for this one, and could be something in this. But I do, I do agree with Tom. I mean, last year there were, I was thinking as well with with City and talking about you know the, the expectation they'll win easily. But there was that game at Cheltenham where they were losing for a long a long time, if I remember rightly, and that looked like being an upset. And there was even Marine um, playing mm, against Tottenham. Absolutely. That was incredible. Um, Cheltenham also called the Robins like Swindon, so is that right? Am I making Empress that up? Empress City as well. It's yeah. too many Robins. No, but that's too... Yeah, well, indeed, yeah. Uh, Nottingham Forest taking on Arsenal. That's Sunday at 10 past five, confusingly. That game you referenced from 2018, producer Charlie pointing out that man of the match for Forest was the 18-year-old Ben Brereton. Whoever happened to him? Exactly. Mm. Elsewhere, what else have we got? Oh, Millwall who have a habit of knocking out Premier League sides. They've done it four times in the last five seasons, reaching the quarterfinals twice in that time. They're going to be hosting Crystal Palace at the Den, Duncan. Yeah, that's a, that's a very tasty game, that one. Um, the battle of which club can you know provide more help to, to local schools in South London. They're both Catchy. very involved. Yeah, El Clasico de School. Um, but yeah, it should be good. I mean, obviously Millwall will be, will be up for it. They're at home. You wonder if Palace will rotate. But yeah, I mean, there's tickets available. If you're, if you're free, I would, I would say this is a really good... If you want to experience a, a, a raucous English third-round cup tie atmosphere, right. this is a, a good shout. At the New Den, 12.45 on Saturday. All right, more of reasons why you shouldn't be shrugging your shoulders about this third round coming up next. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Joe in Newcastle and Greg in Norwich. How are you feeling, gents? Oh, uh, yeah, good. Optimistic, Paddy. Uh, but your team's at the bottom of the table. Why are you so happy? Well, I think I speak for Norwich and Newcastle fans everywhere when I say we really fancy our chances of uh, winning the championship next year. Ah, silver linings, eh? 
Just like with Paddy Power's Bet Builder, where you get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Paddy Power applies to pre-match online bet builder bets with minimum four legs of at least one to five odds each. Max free bet ten pounds per day excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. 6th of January, listener. 10 years ago, 2012, Thierry Henry re-signed for Arsenal. He was 34. Does that bring back happy memories? It was only a couple of days later that he took the field in what was then also the third round of the FA Cup, of course, because it's that time of year, and uh, scored what he describes as his favourite ever goal for Arsenal. Henry, chance, goal! He may be cast in bronze, but he's still capable of producing truly golden moments. It was a classic Henri finish, wasn't it? From the left-hand side of the box, bent into the far corner. It was a very auspicious day, ten years because it's also the day that um, Anthony Royal Thompson stole some cheese from a supermarket. So what? Henri and Royal Thompson, two stars of the TV in the two thousands, back in the back in the headlines. Why? I know it's wrong, but I really want to know more about the Royal Thompson. He <laughs> was just caught stealing cheese from a shop from a supermarket. Right. But it was um, it. Had he just forgotten to. To, to declare it at the, at the checkout, mm. or, or he was. I think it was a mini. It was a Winona Ryder, was it? Mm, yeah. So, mm. but how time passes, a decade. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, that was then. Coming up this weekend in the third round, we mentioned some of the treats in store. If you're a supporter of Morecambe and Shrewsbury Town, you'll have Sunday two o'clock ringed in red. Both League One clubs both got clashes with Premier League teams this Sunday. Shrewsbury are taking on Liverpool if uh, that game goes ahead. Morecambe, while make the trip down to Spurs. Big, big matches. All right, Duncan, have we heard about what game you're most looking forward to this weekend? Well, I was just going to say Spurs fans get a chance to see Cole Stockton, the Morecambe striker, who has been one of the stars of League One this season. Um, hmm. Has the top scorer and has scored a couple of goals from about 35 yards and one goal from his own half uh, in the last minute away at Fleetwood. So um, has got sort of Brereton-Diaz-style hair-beard combo as well. So, you know, it's, it's getting more glamorous in the lower leagues and uh, let's see what he can do against Spurs. All right. Who have Wickham got this weekend, Duncan? Um, Sunderland at home in a top of League One super clash. So, right. yeah, league, league football continues. Although there are rumours Sunderland might have COVID... Uh, Enough COVID cases for it to be postponed, so we'll have to wait and see. All right. Okay. Other fixtures. Hull taking on Everton, where Rafa Benitez is under pressure. One win in the last 12 games. Everton, crikey. And the FA Cup is the sort of thing that can really serve to magnify uh, problems at clubs that are struggling in the sense that in an average season, if Everton were, were going okay and were to go out of the out of the cup to a championship team like Hull 
there'd be a bit of disappointment, but you'd sort of, you know, you'd probably quickly get over it. But at the moment, with the, the run of form that Everton are on, particularly coming off the back of that that very painful home defeat against Brighton, it's the sort of thing that makes you think that, that they are actually under a bit of pressure there and that, and that were they to go out, it would... Um, it would only serve to, uh, yeah, to, to to create more um, more more focus on uh, on poor old Rafa. Poor old Rafa, indeed. How are Hull, uh, by the way? They're in the Championship now, down the sort of lower end of it. Well, they had a good run at the start, the sort of end of the year, hauled themselves out of the relegation zone. I think six games unbeaten, but have lost the last two. Uh, two on away at Forest and one nil away at Blackpool. Um, so have had a, a bit of a bit of a mini slump themselves they've been to a final more recently than Everton though haven't they an FA Cup final in 2014 and we're 2 nil up in it or very nearly 3 nil up were it not for Kieran Gibbs clearance off the line yeah. mm. sliding doors eh uh, there's a lot of excitement about their 20 year old striker Keen Lewis Potter terrific name uh, Nick Miller mm. has done a big thing on him on the athletic Southampton are at Swansea Saints winners in 1976 who've also been in the headlines this week because they've been bought by the cable guy, a Dragon Solak, who has uh, picked up the club. In a, he's kind of, I think, providing the money, is this right, for a consortium which also includes Rasmus Ankersen, one of the men who's weaved their magic around Brentford and previously at Midgeland. Uh, and uh, so this, I mean, it does seem quite exciting and and also quite a bargain rate that, that, that he, he's picked up Southampton for. Is, is it about 100 million, 125 million? People equating this to like four Dejan Lovrens or possibly five, depending on the actual figure. Is this does this represent a bit of a a break for Southampton from the limbo that they've been sat in for the last three four years? It's hard to know when when Southampton pivoted from a well-run club to uh, you know a club that needed investment. So. Mm, it is, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess the hope for Southampton is that is that although they have. Uh, you know, been going through a period of relative stability. The previous owner, Gao Sheng, uh, famously didn't ever really put too much money in. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess the, the the hope there will be that the, the new owners will will, will will put a bit of cash in and, um, you know, start start moving them up the table. All right. I mean, Rasmus Hankerson as well has done such wonders that in his previous uh, jobs. There's talk about that this being the start of a network of clubs. I mean, it's ambitious, that's for sure. Uh, Charlie, sorry. No, it will be interesting as well because Ralph Hassan, who's another four-two-two-two proponent, oh. um, has done such a good job, and you know, often without uh, you know much of a budget. So, it'll be interesting to see how much of a difference that makes for him. Can I just say on the four-two-two-two, since it's come up again, I was mm. thinking about it, and I think that the the appeal from a tactical perspective is that most teams shy away from playing two strikers two central strikers because it obliges you to forfeit control of the midfield or it makes it very difficult to retain control of midfield. Whereas playing a 4-2-2-4-2-2-2, you always have to count the twos, don't you? Mm. You can play with, gives you sort of a box midfield. So it means four players in the centre of the pitch, but two players up front plus width from the full backs. So on paper, it right. allows you to tick multiple tactical boxes it, it it reaches the parts that other formations do not, or but, at least but, it does when it works. Again, the thicket at the back wants to ask, doesn't that leave huge amounts of space on the flanks? And isn't that what Wolves did to Man United on, on Monday? Yeah. Well, yes. Yes, it does. OK. Well, there you go. Oh, we should talk about that game, actually. Man United, uh, who are featuring, of course, in the Cup, 
Uh, they are hosting Aston Villa in a very intriguing match. Actually, Stephen Gerrard making his first appearance at Old Trafford as a manager, taking time out from his moves to get Philippe Coutinho in at Villa Park. Exciting. Uh, but yeah, Man United arriving after that 1-0 defeat to Wolves on Monday night. Wolves' first victory at Old Trafford in 40 years. And all sorts of fallout. I mean, beyond the well-done Wolves and that, and what a great job um, Bruno Large is doing there. A, a continued fallout from Old Trafford about factions and bringing Mike Phelan to broker a peace deal between the Cristiano Ronaldo wing of the dressing room and the, the other one that's grumbling about the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo always gets picked despite not doing much. And it, it, It's not looking great, is it? I mean, it feels like Ralph Rangnick has had the most short-lived uh, new manager honeymoon uh, in Premier League history in the sense that it lasted for about 25 minutes of the first game against Palace when we saw United press with a little bit of conviction and cohesion for the first time in recorded history. And ever since it's been, oh, well, you know, the results of their performances aren't and then they lose against Wolves, so the results aren't there either. And now there's all this talk of, yeah, you know, grumbling behind the scenes, players not happy with his methods. I mean, it's... Um, it's it's a worry, particularly given this very clement run of games that United have already embarked upon. I mean, you, you couldn't have asked for a better set of fixtures to, to try and get them back, uh, you know, moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, clearly all is uh, all is not well. Do you feel, as Michael Cox does, his comment on the game, uh, Man United playing like they're being managed by a bloke who spent one of the last 10 years as a top flight manager. Do you, do you feel that's the issue or is it just that Ralph hasn't had any time yet? to really work with the players? I worry that they've maybe got the right man, but for the wrong position, in mm. that he's, you know, his his recent track record has, has been more as a sporting director, you know, kind of being in charge of, of kind of overall footballing strategy with the Red Bull group, rather than being a hands-on um, coach, uh, you know, or, or manager. Um, and we're all aware of the, the huge influence that Rangnick has had on on the recent history of, of European football, but that's been more as a kind of, you know, in a backseat role as, as kind of a tactical thinker uh, and, and an influencer of, of tactical thinking rather than a, a hands-on manager. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the one big question mark when United appointed him. Yes, he's obviously someone who has fantastic ideas about football and has influenced lots of, lots of the best young coaches in the game today, but, it, you know, he doesn't have a great track record uh, at all, really, when it comes to putting those ideas into practice as, as a first-team coach. And perhaps that's what we're seeing playing out now at, at United. You also get the impression he is someone who his ideas are quite complex and they might take a little bit of time to get across, but he's been appointed on an interim basis. You know, he doesn't feel like a kind of Gus Hiddink firefighter who will come in and quickly get results. Is the interim business just referring to his uh, sideline role, whereas he will be there kind of long term uh, or perhaps I'm inferring too much? That would make some sense. No, yeah. Do the manager bit for it and then step up and pull all the strings possibly I'm making too many assumptions there I mean it was striking to me in that game that as Tom sort of mentioned there United feel like they need someone with a real personality to come in and it doesn't feel like Rangnick is necessarily that person and Wolves Wolves passing was so progressive in that match and the thing that really struck me was yeah they sometimes didn't complete passes but there was no rancor amongst the team they just reset and went again and and compare that to united where every little mistake or every missed chance is met with like you know hands in the air and puffed cheeks and and i think that's that's the big issue is that the team is just 
you know, they don't get on. And I don't know whether uh, a deep thinker like Rangnick is is necessarily the the man to mm. to sort that out. All right, they need Mike Phelan in there, Ted Lassoing the whole thing back into shape. Lovely well, Brucey put himself mm. forward for the uh, Steve Bruce. Yeah, for the interim okay. role. So that you know, in an alternative world. Um, All right, the man who patched up my my communal area banister could do the same job to the Man United dressing room. <laughs> uh, that's that's a reference for older listeners. Wolves will be attempting to build on that uh, phenomenal performance at uh, home to Sheffield United in the Cup on Sunday. And United, as mentioned, will be hosting Aston Villa, who also had their first win in years against uh, Man United at Old Trafford earlier this season, back in September. Only three teams ever have won twice at Old Trafford in the same season. Is that right, Duncan? Including Aston Villa a couple of seasons ago. Uh, not, okay. <laughs> including Aston Villa in 1919-20, so not a couple of seasons ago. Unless, <laughs> unless you... What was the other, what was Stop the other living season? in the past, Duncan. <laughs> The other ones are Chelsea in 2004 or 5 and Spurs in 1989-90. Of course, Spurs. Do you fancy their chances of getting a second win at Old Trafford this time? Kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gerard will be up for it. Let's hope not too up for it. His last appearance against United was the 38 second. Uh, yeah. So. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, what about the Philippe Coutinho move? I mean, it's such an exciting story. Is it real, though, Tom? Or anybody? Is it real? I don't know. Does it make sense? I don't know either. In the sense that Villa have already tried to replace Jack Grealish with three players um, <laughs> and it hasn't completely worked. So adding a fourth player to the mix, unless mm. they're going to somehow combine those four players yep. in some kind of freakish science experiment into the new Jack Grealish. I mean, it'd be great to see Coutinho back in the Premier League. We all remember what a fantastic player he was from his time at Liverpool. Uh, his career has obviously run aground at, at, at Barcelona, which clearly with hindsight was 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 the wrong place for him to go to um I just I wonder how quickly he could he could hit the ground at, at Villa um and you know given the the competition for places that already exists in their forward line it's mm. not like he's going to just walk straight into the team you know you've got Buendia there who's the sort of nominal first choice playmaker uh but yeah an interesting one yeah wow yeah he is strange because he's so so good and it was I mean even in that uh, he had that loan season at Bayern, didn't he, when they won the Champions League? And, and there were flashes where he still looked an amazing player. And I'm all—I I never really know with the with, with players of that kind of profile. You know, someone like Cavani comes back, comes to the Premier League, and you think, is he going to look like horrifically washed up and off the pace, or is he going to, you know, be Falcao-esque? Hmm. Well, exactly. Yeah, hmm. I feel it can really go one of two ways. So yeah. I, I would be really curious to see what it's like with Coutinho. Coutinho, I mean. His move from Inter to Liverpool and then subsequently on to Barcelona, without that, that those two deals, Liverpool as we know them wouldn't exist. But that that's maybe a subject for another day with a bit of blazing squad on the back of it mm. and stuff. Um, no, anyways, but yeah, a, a proper sliding doors moment. And particularly, I think they paid £8.5 to sign mm. him from Inter, didn't they, Liverpool? And it was like a January signing. And then he mm. ends up being, the, I mean, quite apart from what he did for Liverpool on the pitch, but then he basically facilitates the moves for, for Alisson and Van Dijk that turn them into the best club in the yeah. country. So as, as kind of key transfers go in recent years, it's, it's up there. It certainly is. He was also very, very, people forget he was very, very good in that 13-14 uh, Brendan Rodgers almost won the title team. I mean, I think we focus on the Sterling Suarez, uh, yeah. Sturridge, but he was brilliant in a lot of those games. Scored that goal against City, didn't he? To um, so 
to win just, that one. Just to kind of, so they had Raheem Sterling, mm. Sturridge, mm. Coutinho, and Luis Suarez being fed by Stevie G as well. So Cheapers. it was decent. Yeah. And Hendo, yeah. they didn't have a defence, yeah. and that what that did cost them ultimately. <laughs> yes, very much did cost them. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't they conceded something like fifty goals in the league that season? I was at Anfield for that game against City um, and had a really peculiar experience of the Coutinho winner because I there wasn't I don't think I'd been to Anfield previously that season and the press box at, at, at Anfield was much smaller then than it is now so I was sitting at the back of the main stand um, with my laptop on my lap uh, which was less than optimal. And as the second half wears on, I thought, well, I'd probably be better off going down to the, the media room where I can get on the Wi-Fi and plug my laptop in. So I won't actually be watching the end of the game with my own eyes, but, you know, there are TV screens. And it was 2-2 with about, I don't know, 15 minutes to go. And I'm sitting in the media room and all of a sudden, and I'm watching the game on TV and there's a roar, like the sound of a, an express train going past. And all the like Liverpool staff members started going absolutely mad. And I looked up at the TV and Liverpool were just like knocking the ball around in midfield. And obviously there was like a little lag of about, th- about, of about you know, 20, 30 seconds. And then, of course, Coutinho's score was what proved to be the winner. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a curious one. There's also a sliding doors moment there, isn't it? Because then Henderson gets sent off and had he not, then Liverpool may have won the league. There was also, there was a few months period where Coutinho was playing with Mane, Salah and Firmino. And that, I mean, I remember there was one game at Leicester, which was madly chaotic, but that must have been a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And actually, and speaking of sliding doors moments, I'm not sure whether you guys know about this, but Steven Gerrard slipped uh, in a game against Chelsea, and many many pinpoint that as being quite crucial in that. More, more sliding midfield than the sliding doors, of course. But let's save all this, what a glorious season that was, for next time there's a lockdown and Duncan doesn't tend to care <laughs> about week. it. Compare it there. I don't think we need to um, Instead, for now, let's talk about uh, two other all-Premier League ties, along with Villa's trip to Man United. You've got Holders Leicester. They'll be welcoming Claudio Ranieri back to the King Power again with Watford. That's Saturday. And West Ham taking on Leeds. Leeds, who, Tom, you were mentioning the upsets last year. They were knocked out at this stage in the third round by Crawley last season. So there you go. That is the FA Cup third round. That and, and other fixtures. And, of course, on Monday we'll be having a proper look at all of that. But it's not the only cup action that's taking place this weekend because you've also got the Africa Cup of Nations, which begins on Sunday. We'll take a dive into that next. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to that own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will come in handy when Mikel Arteta finally bends the process altogether. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet, minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply, and please gamble responsibly. Totally Football Show Live is coming to London, circumstances permitting, on the 1st of February. Crikey, that's quite soon. Less than a month away. Some tickets are still available. Go to leicestersquaretheatre.com and you could come and see Michael Cox, Julian LaRonge and Duncan Alexander sharing a stage with me. Uh, That should be fun. I've sold that well. Cup of Nations begins on Sunday. Uh, Tournament will kick off with Cameroon. Host Nation taking on Burkina Faso. Joining us now on the line is Maher Mazahi, who's going to be covering the tournament for The Athletic. Hello, Maher. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited to go to Cameroon. I'm leaving on Monday, so uh, just doing all the last-minute prep now. All right. How, how, many, how many Africa Cup of Nations have you been to? So I've been to two so far, uh, 2019 in Egypt and 2017 in Gabon. And I've also been to uh, random matches all around Africa. So I went to the Ivory Coast against Morocco. That was a, a 2018 World Cup qualifier. Uh, I've been to Morocco, Tunisia for matches as well. So uh, I love African football. <laughs> right. People who go to Cup of Nations and, uh, get so into this tournament, mm. kind of above all, all others. What is it that, that makes it so special? There's a few different things. Um, the heart kind of grows fun sometimes in, in adversity, uh, if I can say that. Um, when you go there and you speak to some of the more senior journalists, sometimes they've been to 15, 16, 17 Cup of Nations consecutively. When you go to one, you kind of want to go to every single one. Um, the, the travel is, is great. You really see like a completely different part of the world, and, and each part of Africa is completely different. So so that's part of it. And and also, I think there's really solidarity between you know journalists, fans, players, uh, because these aren't the easiest tournaments to organize, but when they do organize it correctly, the, the sort of solidarity builds, and you kind of want, you kind of, I almost see that as like my, my second footballing family now. Every time I go there, I'm always uh, looking to meet up with other journalists and fans, and, and it's the same faces over and over again. Magnificent. Well, for people who won't be able to be there and are watching it from home, what should they be looking out for? Who are the teams to watch? For me, the three favorites are Algeria, the defending champions. They're mm-hmm. on a 34-match unbeaten streak now, just three away from Italy. 
um, who set the record last summer. Um, they have a fantastic coach and, and some world-class players like Riyad Mahrez or AC Milan's Ismail Ben Nasser. Uh, Senegal are the strongest side on paper. However, with Senegal, they have a mental block. They cannot seem to win finals. We don't know why, and even Senegalese people will tell you this. Uh, in 2019, they brought along a sports psychologist to sort of help them over the mental block. And sure enough, they lost in the final to Algeria. So they have the strongest side on paper, but there's always going to be that question of if they can do it until they can do it. And then finally, the, the last, I think, favorite would be Cameroon, the hosts. Um, it's always a safe bet to, to bet on the hosts in Africa, but especially when they have a record like Cameroon does. They haven't lost a competitive home match within their borders since 1973. And that wow. was when they lost against Zaire, who are now the Democratic Republic of Congo. So that country doesn't even exist anymore. Right. They're going to be kicking things off for Sunday, 4 o'clock against Burkina Faso. Uh, yeah, they, they all look strong, those teams you mentioned. Some of the traditional powers are meeting in the first round, though, Egypt and Nigeria, and those two no longer at that kind of level. Um, you know, anytime you have some a player like Mohamed Salah, who's probably probably the best player in the world at the moment, if, if not definitely top three, um, you have a chance, especially in tournament play where you can sort of sometimes set up a low block and just have that one world-class player that can, you know, pull the proverbial uh, rabbit out of the, the hat. But with Egypt, they, uh, Egypt and Nigeria, with both of these sides, they're very thin in midfield. N Nigeria have Wilfred and Didi, but besides that, there's practically nobody there to sort of shoulder him and help him out. And with Egypt, uh, they, they lost uh, an emotional leader, Tarek Hamed, who's been left out of the squad, and Amar Suley is getting kind of older. So they, they, both sides have really great front lines, but they real, have real shortages in midfield. Okay. Well, that sounds exciting. Uh, Tuesday at four, they'll be facing each other. Nigeria also without uh, Emmanuel Dennis, who hasn't been able to depart Watford. Watford also not releasing Ismail Assar to Senegal. Has there been a lot of fallout about those decisions there? Yeah, well, Watford in particular, uh, they've probably been the worst club uh, in terms of trying to withhold their players from going to the AFCON. The Emmanuel Dennis story is kind of Nigeria's fault because under their previous coach, Gernot Roer, who was just fired about a month ago, uh, he didn't really think Emmanuel Dennis would be a necessity, and then Emmanuel Dennis started scoring a lot of goals. Uh, Gernot Roer was fired, they brought in an interim coach, and all of a sudden they wanted to call up Emmanuel Dennis, but they sent in that request much too late, and so I can kind of understand Watford holding on to him. And then they tried to hold on to Ismail Lassar, who's been injured, I think, for the last month, month and a half or so, and who's expected to recover in the midst of this tournament, they didn't want to let him go. Senegal wanted to play him as of the quarterfinals. Um, and Senegal basically said, look, we'll take this to FIFA. We're going to be intransigent about this. We really need our player. And eventually Watford uh, capitulated and conceded. But you're going to get this with clubs that really need these players. Uh, Watford might be battling relegation. They're going to be desperate to hold on to them. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so Sa should be going if Senegal make it to, to that point in the tournament. I noticed you didn't mention Ivory Coast at all yet. Uh, do they represent... Sebastian Haller has been, been looking amazing for, for Ajax. Are they potential dark horses or anything like that? Yeah, look, the Ivory Coast, um, on paper, you can put them almost with Senegal. I mean, they're just as talented. Frank Kessier. There's a, a central midfielder named mm. Ibrahim Sangari. He plays for PSV Eindhoven. This guy, he's, in, I think in the Eredivisie, he's top 10 in tackles, interceptions, and also dribbles. Uh, he's just a fantastic, complete midfielder. So, so good. Uh, you got, you know, uh, Sebastian Allaire, who you mentioned. Uh, you've got Maxwell Cornet, Wilfred Zaha. Really, on paper, they should be one of the strongest sides. However, uh, with their coach, Patrice Bommel, 
they don't really know their best uh, lineup. They don't really know their best formation. There's a lot of pressure from local press who want him gone. They've just been eliminated from FIFA World Cup qualifiers by Cameroon. So really, it's not a lot of great momentum heading into this tournament. Again, on paper, they should be one of the favorites. But just from feeling the general context of everything that's going around around that um, national team, I don't anticipate them doing very well. On the analyst, we've cranked up our supercomputer AI predictive thing that we did for the Euros. Um, at the moment, we've got Morocco, Nigeria, Egypt, about roughly equal as, as favourites. But um, as dark horses, we've got Mali, who've got quite... Because this is the same structure as the Euros in the summer with 24 teams, um, Mali have got quite a similar sort of uh, position as, as Denmark. And obviously, Denmark got to the semis at the Euros. So, yeah, I was just wanted your views on, on how you think Mali would do. Look, Mali are also one of my dark horses as well. They have more central midfielders than to know what to do with them. I mean, Amadou Heidara, Diadi Samaseku, the two German-based midfielders are really talented and they could be in the Premier League sooner than later. Uh, Yves Bissouma from Brighton, also a fantastic player. Mohamed Kamara also playing his football uh, in the top five league as well. So they're... The, the problem with Mali is that they've been dark horses for about 10 years now. They've always had fantastic players and they never really managed to, to perform when it matters again in the semifinals and the final. But I, I feel like there could be something different about this time around. They, they believe in their coach. He's a local coach that not many people know. His name is Mohamed Magasuba. He's an older gentleman and he's a calf instructor. So he's knows the theoretical side of the game quite well and the players really believe in his philosophy. They looked outstanding in FIFA World Cup qualifying with their striker Ibrahim Akone who's playing in, I believe he's playing in Denmark. They call him the Malian Romelu Lukaku. He's bald, he's kind of thick, he's good with his back towards goal. He scored four goals against Kenya so he's, they've also nicknamed him the Kenyan killer now. Uh, I wonder if he's going to get another nickname over there in Cameroon but uh, Mali, Mali look good, they do look good. I'm, I'm just not sure about uh, Egypt and Nigeria. Could I also just have a quick word about Morocco? Mm. Yeah, so, so Nigeria and Egypt, like I said, they're a little bit thin in midfield, but with Morocco, you know their coach, Vahid Halilodzic, he was the coach that took Algeria to the round of 16 in the 2014 World Cup. So I, I've, I know him quite well because I'm based here in Algeria, and uh, you know he's a veteran of the Yugoslav War, and this is probably one of the best anecdotes in football, is that he he was, during the Yugoslav War, he was uh, defending his city in, in Mostar in Bosnia, and he had, I guess, a, a Glock in, in his pants, and as he sat down, he... <laughs> the pistol actually set off and he shot himself in the buttocks. And I mean, how can you not use that to say, <laughs> I metaphorically, symbolically hope he does not do that again when he's leaving out Hakim Ziyech, Ajax's Nusser Mazraoui, uh, Marseille's Amin Harit. He leaves out some of the best players in the squad and that's because he wants to be pilot, co-pilot and air control. He's kind of a dictator, but his team is disciplined. They've only conceded one goal in the last 12 months. I think they could go far, but they might be missing that world-class player to unlock a game when it's quite tight and you're, you're kind of locked in a stalemate. Crikey. I, I can't get my mind off um, his uh, Glock-riddled butt. <laughs> how, how, yeah. how does that... I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it, it, did you ever it, ask him about how he no, actually I, did it? I didn't. He's, he's actually a very scary guy. I've, I've, right. Like, he's <laughs> one of those to sit next to yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the, the bullet sort of went through his uh, buttocks and lodged in his thigh. And I don't know if it's still there. Jesus. Or not, but, yeah. uh, I, haven't, I haven't got a question, but I just want to say hi to Maher because uh, he helped me a lot uh, with, with my book. And we've never actually met, have we? And I think no. this is the first time we've spoken, exactly, uh, which seems yeah. a bit mad. Um, but yeah, look, have a great tournament. And, you know, if you're ever passing through London, give me a shout because I, I owe you at least one dinner. <laughs> Maher, what did you, this was for Tom's book, do you speak football? What? Which bit did you put in? I think I think it was the um, 
you know, we have this expression in Algeria, when, when a shot sort of clangs off the 90 degree angle between the post and the crossbar, we say that's where the devil lives, you know, that's where the devil lives. So sometimes, uh, I don't know why that's, that's the expression, it was coined by BN Sports commentator Hafid Daraji. Um, but yeah, so now whenever a goal comes in off, you know, in that 90 degree angle, we say, you know, knock the devil off his post or, you know, even the devil couldn't save that. So I think that's the one I, I submitted. And also, Algeria is responsible for one of the most enduring pieces of um, football lingo in the francophone world because uh, Rabah Majer, the Algerian striker who scored the winner uh, for Porto in the 1987 European Cup final with a back heel, every back heel goal that is scored in a French context, be that in France, be that in Africa, is just uniformly referred to as, as a Majer. So that's probably Algeria's most enduring gift to uh, the language of football. Force majeure. Mm. I've heard of that. <laughs> there you uh, go. Good. Magnificent. All right. You're going to be arriving which which day, Maher? Yeah, I'm going to be arriving on Monday to Douala and uh, jumping straight into it. Okay. What, what are you most looking forward to seeing there? Um, honestly, in Douala, if we can take a, a sidestep from football, there's a, a kind of music called the uh, Makosa, which is uh, native to, to the Cameroon. Um, everybody knows the Sol Makosa song from the great uh, Cam- uh, Cameroonian jazz artist Manu Dibango, who uh, Michael Jackson then sampled the famous Mama Say, Mama Sa, Mama Kosa. Ah, okay. Yeah, there you go. So I'm looking to go to some of these jazz clubs because not only uh, is it really native to the region in Douala, but also uh, they have a lot of actually, they make a lot of Makosa songs about their clubs, especially in the 1980s and 90s. So there's a, there's a cool jazz club that I'm looking forward to going. But on the pitch, uh, I'm going to say uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, the three horsemen of the Premier League really play well. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. Three friends who have shared the African Player of the Year award all the way back to 2016. Um, every time there's a Cup of Nations, one of them does fantastically well. Salah a little bit less than uh, Mane and Mahrez. Uh, over the recent Cup of Nations, but I anticipate that this time Salah might actually raise his game because of the form he's in and really be the best player in this tournament. Magnificent. All right. Well, if, um, you know, jazz clubs permitting, if you can keep us abreast of, 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 of what you're getting up to, uh, that, that would be fantastic, Mahaya. Yeah, I'd love to chat to you guys some more. Absolutely. I imagine it must be huge fun to cover and Africa Cup of Nations. And I've got friends who, who've been out there to, to cover it and who've covered multiple tournaments, but it, it must be so stressful as well. And I think from a personal perspective, as someone who gets a bit stressed out covering a, a, an FA Cup third round tie at a non-league round where the Wi-Fi might drop out uh, when you still need it, I, I think I'd probably struggle doing an AFCON. But Godspeed to all of those who are going. Oh yeah, Daniel's story. Is Daniel already there, producer Charlie? He hasn't gone yet, but he's, yeah, and he's absolutely uh, chomping at the bit to get out there. Uh, hopefully we'll be speaking to Daniel as well in the course of the, the tournament. Uh, but yes, that all gets underway this weekend, as does so much other stuff that we talked about, uh, and probably other things too. But Monday, Totally Football Show will return to discuss it all. Many thanks for now to Duncan, Charlie Eccleshare, producer Charlie, and Tom Williams, and Maher Mazahi, and you listener. Have yourself a great weekend, and we'll catch up with you Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. 
The Athletic.